Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Scripture reading today is James chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls." But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word of God, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But he who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. prayer collect for May 17th, we prayed, O Lord, from whom all good things come, grant to us your humble servants that by your holy inspiration we may think those things that are good and by your merciful guiding may perform the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to focus on the phrase that we may think those things that are good and by your merciful guiding may perform the same. My godly mother used to teach me think and do, think and do. It doesn't do any good just to think it if you don't do it. But if you can think rightly, then you can do rightly. Maybe more than anything else, our biggest problem as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a lack of knowing the right thing to do, it's a lack of doing it. 
This is the whole point of our text in St. James 1, 19 to 27. Verse 22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. How do we do this? St. James points the way in this wonderful passage. Take a look at verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Now, a little background before we go on. Some theologians love to pit Paul against James. They say that there is a contradiction between grace and works. Paul seems to be all about grace. James seems to emphasize works. This is why Martin Luther referred to the book of James as an epistle of straw and sought unsuccessfully to have the entire book removed from sacred scripture. Why? Because James didn't agree with his newly reasoned idea of faith without works. Actually, a careful and unbiased reading of Scripture shows that there is no contradiction at all between Romans and James. Paul in Romans and James in his epistle are simply regarding the subject from slightly different angles. Paul would have said that the gospel was the perfection of the law, for he says in Romans that by faith we do not make void but establish the law. And James would have said that the law, in Paul's sense of the term, was a yoke of bondage, as he says that the gospel, in contrast to earlier revelation, is the law of liberty. So the two men, Paul and James, don't contradict, but actually complement one another. James urges us to work and insists on godly conduct, just as Paul insists that we must have faith, but faith that works itself out in love. James also preaches faith, but insists that works are the fruit and evidence of faith. Now back to our text. Let's look at three things. The perfect law, the doers of the perfect law, and the blessedness of the doers of the perfect law. James calls the law of the gospel the perfect law, the law of liberty. To him, the glory of the gospel was the highest form of God's revelation to man. It was the perfecting of the Old Testament law, only infinitely greater. To James, the gospel of Jesus Christ was a law, the authoritative standard and rule for human conduct. The whole New Testament is given not for our intellectual stimulation, but so that we may do it and live. Jesus said in Matthew 19:17, If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. There are plenty of truths that don't affect us directly if we believe them or not. The law of mathematics, 2 plus 2 equals 4, doesn't change if someone chooses not to believe it. The law of gravity doesn't change if someone chooses not to believe it. 
But no one can read the New Testament and understand the truth that is given there and not have their lives turned upside down by its impact. After all, Jesus himself said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Since Jesus Christ is God himself upon the earth, his voice is louder and more imperative than all the thunder and lightning and the loud trumpet sounds that left all the people of God at the foot of the mountain trembling before him. This is the whole point of the whole New Testament, that Christ's great act of redemption is a law for conduct. God's love redeeming us from sin is the revelation of what we ought to be and the pattern for our lives as followers of Jesus. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Because Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice for sin, we who trust and follow him accept his life as the model for our daily conduct, which becomes the perfect law for us to obey. This is why the book of James is a helpful counterbalance to the false gospel of sin management that has been preached for decades in the church. The false gospel of sin management is that the whole Christian life is about how to get our sins forgiven and be assured of eternal life in heaven. This view teaches that Christ made the arrangement that can get us into heaven when we die. But the gospel, as Jesus and the apostles proclaimed it, is the good news of the presence and availability of life in Christ's kingdom now and forevermore through trusting upon Jesus, God's only Son. The problem with the gospel of sin management is that it deals only with forgiveness of sins and tells us nothing about how to follow Jesus in everyday life. This perspective is encapsulated in the bumper sticker slogan, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. We need to ask the important question, just forgiven? Is that all there is to being a Christian? The glorious prospect of having Christ express his resurrected life through me in an interactive partnership comes down to the slogan, not perfect, just forgiven? Of course Christians are not perfect like the Master, and there is always need for improvement. But this bumper sticker mentality is a terrible insult to the majestic Son of God who gave his life for us to transform us from within and make us like himself, to give us an eternal kind of life in his children now here upon the earth. The really sad truth about bumper sticker slogans is that they convey that forgiveness of sins is what Christianity is all about, that the forgiveness of sins is the essence of saving faith. And that is false, beloved. The import of this kind of thinking is that being a Christian has nothing to do with the kind of person you are in daily life. 
the teaching that salvation is by grace alone, totally independent of everything we do or think or how we live, is a complete misrepresentation of the gospel. Here's a question for reflection. Can we seriously believe that God would establish a plan of salvation that essentially bypasses all the needs of present human life and leaves human character untouched and unchanged? Can we believe that the essence of Christian salvation covers nothing but our life after death in heaven? Can we believe that being saved really has nothing whatsoever to do with the kinds of persons we are in daily life. Here is the problem, beloved. This sin management view of the gospel doesn't give the follower of Jesus any practical direction towards personal transformation so that we begin to experience the abundance of life Jesus promised us. The gospel of sin management doesn't connect followers of Jesus to a practical life of discipleship. It doesn't teach us how to become apprentices to Jesus in everyday life. Therefore, we end up feeling disillusioned. We end up like a well-known Christian leader who recently turned 50 and said, From my conversion to Christ at the age of 10 years old, I thought that if I was a Christian, people would see a marked difference in my life, and that the closer I was to God, the more visible that difference would be. Now at age 50, I've seen so many who have stumbled and fallen, so many never again to recover their faith, so many truths about the gospel that turned out to be false, that I just don't believe what I did when I was younger. If God changes us, It must be an invisible change, undetectable from the human point of view, unquote. How sad, how tragic that a prominent Christian leader could make such a statement. What this means is that the failures of modern Christianity are a direct result of the message we have been preaching. We have not been teaching people how to live under the rule of Jesus Christ. We have not been teaching people to become actual students of Jesus, to learn from him how to live our lives as he would live them if he were us. We have not shown people that the gospel is a perfect law of life. It's a commandment that must be daily obeyed. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. 
heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Notice secondly, the doers of the perfect law. Before we can become doers of the law, we must look intently at it. The word James uses here has the sense of peering into because there is something important that the viewer desires to see. The word is used for Peter and Mary peering into the empty tomb on Easter morning to try to understand its meaning. It's also used by Peter in 1 Peter 1.12 of angels desiring to peer into the astounding message of the gospel. We need to look steadfastly with a fixed and steady gaze into the things of the gospel. We have to contemplate these mysteries carefully, meditating upon the truths of the gospel. The second requirement is, and continues in it. You'll see it there in verse 25. The peering into and gazing upon the gospel must be constant and concentrated. Many Christians are surprised that they don't make good progress in their spiritual walk with the Lord. But this is because we don't give the truths of the gospel a chance to work on us. Our looking is spasmodic and interrupted by all the distractions of the world around us. We need steadfast, continued attention if we are going to be doers of the Word. Now here's a practical suggestion. Get into the habit of filling your mind with the central truths of God's Word as the condition for receiving God's life in you. There's no mystery about the way God gives his life to us. He says in verse 21, In humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. The more we are full of the truth of the word in our hearts, the more of the new life of Christ will spring up in us. But if we give the gospel only a superficial glance on Sundays and don't dwell in it throughout the week, we will be spiritual weaklings. There will be a huge gap between what we know in our heads and what we do in our lives. Once these requirements are met, comes the doing of the gospel. First, look into it intently, peer closely into the truths of the gospel, then continue in the gospel by constantly filling our minds and hearts with the glorious truths of God's word, then make your creed your deed. The natural outworking of contemplating the truth of our salvation is the doing of it, practical obedience to God. Now in verse 23, James gives us a picture of what happens if we don't do these things. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, 
and once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. James is saying that everyone looks in the mirror in the morning, and the mirror tells the truth. The whole point of looking in the mirror is to make sure everything's okay, that we're ready to start the day at least somewhat presentable. But James says that the man or woman who hears God's word but never does what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror and then simply walks away and forgets what he really looks like. His hair may be sticking out in every direction. He needs to wash his face. He needs a good shave. He looks like the morning after and desperately needs rehabilitation, but he does nothing. Here's the principle. Just as the bathroom mirror shows us what's wrong with us and helps us make it right, the Word of God is alive and powerful and shows us what is spiritually wrong with us and how to make it right. We look into the pure and perfect Word of God and that perfect law of liberty gives us a soul examination. We quickly see what's wrong inside. The church calls them the seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride. Somehow all the lesser sins flow from these seven deadly sins. God's word challenges us spiritually. It's easy to go through life thinking we are in great spiritual shape. We have our spiritual hair combed and our spiritual teeth brushed. Then God jumps out at us when we look into the mirror of Holy Scripture and we discover a large, ugly growth the size of a quarter right on the end of our spiritual nose, a flaw that everyone else sees but we never notice. Scripture shows us all our sins. The mirror of God's Word opens our hearts and we begin to see signs of the deadly sins lurking within. And Jesus says, don't compare yourself with other Christians. Compare yourself to me. I am the perfect word of God incarnate. I am the living word of God, the way, the truth, and the life. I am all glorious perfection, all beauty, all completeness and wholeness and righteousness. Look at me and don't compare yourselves to the Christians around you. The mirror of God's word condemns us by showing us what we are really like. And then it shows us what we can be in Jesus Christ. It shows us what real righteousness is, that solid goodness which is the holy character of God shining in the face of the Lord Jesus and how Jesus can live that righteousness in and through us. New life in Christ. St. Augustine said, Do not deceive yourselves by coming eagerly to hear the word and then failing to do it. For if you hear and do not do, the life you are building will be a ruin. James is trying to help us guard against self-deception. He wants to make sure that we as Christians understand that it is not mere assent to the faith that makes one a genuine believer. One can hear the word of God and receive it, but not demonstrate a changed life. That person is under condemnation. 
as James says in the next chapter, even the demons believe that there's a God, but true faith is demonstrated by works. Faith without works is dead. What James is saying is that we are self-deceived if we think that believing certain truths will bring us into the kingdom of God. It isn't about mentally believing. It's about believing deep in your heart with your whole being and acting out that belief. It's about receiving the grace of God and doing the good works that reflect that grace. The Bible says that we must receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and be baptized unto salvation. We must hear the living word of God and obey what we hear. Good works flow directly from the grace of God in the soul. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that we must work out the salvation that God has worked in us. Then notice finally the blessedness of the one who does. If we don't do what we hear, our faith is futile and worthless. To only hear the word and not carry out what it commands is like building a house on the sand. Our lives will end in ruin. But if we hear the word of God and do what we hear, our lives will be blessed by God. This is a tremendous promise, beloved. There is no delight so wonderful as to do the will of him whom we love. To know that I am walking in conscious fellowship with my Lord through obedience is the greatest joy and good of this life. So what is something we can do in the light of this passage? We might go out and buy a journal and bring it with us every Sunday. Then in the reading of scriptures, the sermon, the singing, the moments of silence, and in the reception of Holy Communion, we will listen for the one thing God tells us to do, and we will write it down in our journal. Just one thing, beloved, not seven pages of scribbling notes, one thing. And at the end of a year, we will have the most powerful spiritual resource imaginable. What else might we do to respond to this passage in obedience? We might come and receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, the meal of the new covenant, and realize that we are forgiven through the shed blood and broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And through our receiving his body and blood, we are energized to walk in his commandments, to obey the perfect law of the gospel. Jesus gives us his life so that his life becomes the source and energy of obedience within us. And so we end where we began. O Lord, from whom all good things come, grant to us your humble servants, that by your holy inspiration we may think those things that are good, and by your merciful guiding may perform the same through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.
You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.